let's see here. Last time we um, we were talking about the the birth, I guess you could say, or the or the uh, the creation of the church. We we spent a week or so looking at um, the fact that God that that the church is this corporate. Uh, body of of Christ. That's what it's always been about. It's always been about uh, God making for Himself a living body for the increase and glory of Jesus Christ. That's really what. That's really how. Uh, as best you know, in a few words, as best as I can describe the eternal purpose of God. That's what He wants. And and that's what he has accomplished. The, you know, and we looked at the fact that Israel. Just kind of bring our minds back to where we left off here. We looked at the fact that Israel is um, God's old. Well, Israel in the in the Bible is God's old covenant version. That is to say, a, a, a type and shadow version of that reality of that corporate body. That's how we need to understand. Israel, and that's why God, I believe, said to Moses, "Israel is my son, even my firstborn." That's just again, I say it all the time, but that's just really uh, key to understand Israel as this as this corporate picture of what it means to be joined to Christ, to relate to God in Christ, to have Christ as the relationship that you have. And, uh, and and everything about that relationship is some aspect of what it means for us to be in Jesus Christ and, and for us to experience Christ and grow in Christ and know Christ as our relationship and know Christ as the increase and know Christ as the purpose of God and the thing that is acceptable to God and all of, all of that is there. <clears throat> so the church is not, it never has been, a group of people that believe something, that all believe the same thing. Would you mind just shutting that door, Julie, just in case the rod comes down here? Uh, um, the church is not a group of, of people, and, and that, that just all, and that's 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 the earthly view. When you think about the church, you think about people that come together because they believe the same thing. And though there is a, that effect in the earth where people do come together and they do end up believing the same thing, that's not what the church is. That's what you see with your eyes when the church is maybe coming to be a reality in some of those people. But that's also what you can see with your eyes uh, if people are wanting to get together and have a tennis club. You know, I mean, the, the coming together of people that have the same ideas in their head is not the church. The church, from God's perspective, has a completely different reality behind it. And the way that God created the church... This is what we started talking about last week. And, and we said a lot of important things kind of quickly last week. I'm going to kind of try to expand a little bit upon some of those this week and move on a little bit too. But we said that the way that God created the church is by starting with a, a seed form of something, which is, which is Christ, 
and doing something to that seed that through the death of it gives it a bigger body. Okay, gives it a larger, more glorious body. Glorious meaning that, like if I had a, you know, I always use the example of a diamond or a jewel or a ruby or something. If I had a, a diamond wrapped up in black paper, um, it's still a diamond, but it's not very glorious. What do you do to make the diamond glorious? What, well, how do you how do you cause the glory that's in the diamond to be seen? Well, if you put you know sunlight into that diamond and take off the paper, then the things that are already that the reality of, of of what's already there in the diamond gets put on glorious display. So the the the, the glory changes, the diamond doesn't. And and in a sense, that's what happened to Christ's body. Um, Christ had one form of a body in for 33 years in the earth. Well, before that, you know, he was spirit, and then he comes into the earth, and he has a he has a body, a body you have prepared for me, and he comes into the earth, and but the purpose of his coming is really to be planted in death. That's really why he came. Now, we talk about the purpose of Christ coming for a lot of different reasons, and usually we say it's to forgive our sins or to teach us what God's like or whatever, and, and there's some truth in those things if you understand them correctly, but but really, the the purpose of God in coming down into the earth was to plant a seed that would return to him in a more glorious form. That's what was on the Lord's uh, heart. Now, and, 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 and you know, I say that tongue in cheek, knowing that I don't have a clue what was on the Lord's heart. But <laughs> as far as I've seen, you know, um, so Jesus. I, I, this is what I was trying to com- communicate last time. Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus the man. When I say Jesus the Nazarene or Jesus, you know, I'm not talking about two different Jesuses. I'm just talking about Jesus in the form, uh, in the form that was given to die. Um. He, he came with a certain kind of body. And it was a body that the scripture says was not glorious. He actually laid off his glory. And he came in this form that wasn't recognized to be anything. Uh, it was just this uh, natural man who, who, though he was the person of glory, though he was the radiance of the Father's uh, very being, he was in this shell that did not display very much of that at all sure he did miracles and and and, uh, and yet the people still re- didn't recognize the, the person you know he he spoke words out from that reality and people didn't understand them he he constantly was in, in things that he was doing he was expressing what he was and yet he did not have a body that truly knew him experienced his glory and so god has always had this plan to take that one perfect seed and put it in the earth in such a way, come on in, uh, that it then comes out, morning governor, it's all right, uh, that it then comes out in a greater form, a greater body, a greater expression. And because, now you have to realize this, now because that was the plan in his heart, before he even created the earth, then he made things like seeds. 
that fall off trees, die, go into the ground and come back. It wasn't that first there were trees and seeds and stuff. And he said, you know what? That's a little bit like my eternal purpose. No, first he had the purpose and then creation was made to, to point back to that reality. And I say that because before Jesus went to the cross, we read this verse last time. He said, unless a grain of wheat goes uh, into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's the story that was, um, I think, burning in the Lord's heart when he, when he came. This was, and, and when he spoke of the cross, it was almost like a farmer speaking of uh, the time to sow his seed. He said, Jesus said, um, you know, instead of the hour has come for the Son of Man to be crucified, he said the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he talked about uh, he talked about that mission, that purpose, in a number of ways, in a number of places. In another place in, in John, I think it's what is it, John seven. Uh, you, you can see that this came to be the understanding of the um, of the apostles as well, because it says. Um, if I can find it here we go alright 37 now on the last day the great day of the feast Jesus stood and cried out saying if anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink he who believes in me as the scripture said from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water but this he spoke now here is John's little this is John's um, commentary after uh, Jesus said this. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. That's an interesting little commentary that he threw in there. But that's, that's John looking back at the cross, saying, you know what? Jesus talked about com- a coming to him that would cause people to drink of his Spirit. And to have the very same spirit that's flowing in him bubble up in them like rivers of living water. And yet the the commentator says, but Jesus actually said this before anyone actually became this larger corporate body of that of that spirit. Before he Christ was glorified. So um that's and I'm kinda of getting ahead of myself here, but that's kind of what I what I drew on the board here, and I don't know. I, I look. I don't think you can see it too well on the camera here, guys. But uh, this is this is a little seed I put on the cross. Okay, I put it like a, it's a little bean or something, and that seed then goes into the earth. And uh, like all seeds, there's something that stays in the earth. There's something that's remains part of the earth. There's something that just lays there forever because it, it can't come out. And that we usually call that the husk or whatever. There's always some part, the outward part of the, depending on what you're planting, that there's there's some outward, could be just a shell. Sometimes it's a large portion of whatever you plant, whatever. But it stays in the earth and then the, just the thing that's the life of it comes out in a greater form. And the greater form is not a different life than you had over here. It's just a different form. It's a different body. Okay? And again, I'm talking about the church here. I'm not talking about um, farming. We, when we think of the church, we think of, we don't think of this, and we need to. 
we think of again a bunch of people. Are um, we, you know, if we're if we're beyond thinking of a building or some kind of a you know natural institution, we usually think of a people. And it's true that it's to some extent it is true. You can look at that people and say that's the church, but it's not because of what we are coming to him, but what he is living in us. That's a really important distinction. From God's point of view, God sees, this is, this is what God did. He baptized a whole, when I say baptized, I just mean he put into. He put a whole people into the death of that seed right there. He brought them, he put not just, the, he put everyone, he put the whole world into that, into that seed and, and, what believers or not, they all were baptized into Christ's death. I mean, they were all, well, they were all put into that death. They were all crucified with Christ, and and they were all adjudicated in the righteousness of God and crucified with Christ and and, and buried. Now, not all of them go into the earth, but not all of them come out. I'm not, and this is something I just got an email about this uh, this guy uh, from. Uh, well, somewhere he doesn't he doesn't speak English. So I'm not worried about him listening to this uh, teaching. But he, he was talking about it all went in and all came out, and and and, and um, that's just not that's just not true. The, the the crucifixion is is universal. The resurrection is by faith, and uh, all die in Christ. But uh, only if you want to come to live in Christ, then you have to make a journey. You have to leave. You have to leave behind the thing that Christ left behind and go with him where he is. And the thing he left behind is the thing that you've called your life. It's, it's the entire Adamic man. There's something that's left in the grave. I want you to picture Christ's resurrection like a seed, like God putting a husk on the seed. And then, and then putting that thing down in the ground and then leaving the husk in the ground. Because that's where it belongs. That's where God doesn't see it and relate to it. That's where the earthly dust it came, dust it returns. And then something else, which is the same life that was crucified, but it's all of a sudden it starts coming up. And like I said a minute ago, or a week ago, when it first starts popping up from the ground, you don't really realize how different it is you don't really realize how different that body is from the body that went in because they're both just little small, maybe round things, you know? But if you watch it grow, you, you pretty soon you have something that, that doesn't resemble in terms of body or form the thing that went down into the ground. And I say, I say all that because that's what happened with Christ. Christ returned from the dead. And yet, and, and people could say, oh look, it's Jesus but they couldn't, I mean, they, they could kind of say that, but they kind of couldn't, too. Because no one naturally recognized him. No one, no one could really, no one really saw the same thing that they saw go into the tomb. Do you know what I mean? It was the same Jesus, and I'm not, I'm not doubting that in any way. Obviously, that's the foundation of what we're talking about. The same Jesus came out. And it was his body. And yet, God had risen up from among the dead the first fruits of what was going to be a harvest 
It was a head of that which was attached to a body. And they had to see that head with different eyes, or they couldn't really know him. And, and when, they tried to, when they tried to see him with the same eyes that they saw him with before, they didn't recognize him. You see what I'm saying? That, that, if, if that sentence could just hit everyone's heart, that'd be enough for this morning. Because even the ones that did see the resurrected body of Jesus Christ weren't seeing the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. I mean, even the ones who saw it with their eyes weren't the ones who believed. And that's the point of what Jesus is doing after the resurrection for 40 days. He is trying to show them a different kind of seeing. And even even when someone who is doubting, doubting Thomas, has to actually put his hands in the holes, you know, and and come and see, he wants to see, doubting Thomas wants to see the proof that it's that seed, you know. Even when Jesus condescends to let him do that, he, he makes this statement. You believe because you see, but from now on, blessed are those who faith is the word without seeing. Right? So, and in all the rest of the cases, Jesus pops up and, and, and no one recognizes him. The road to Emmaus, Mary in the garden, Peter and John in the boat, whatever. Or Paul says he appeared before 500 and they didn't, you know, some doubted. Um, they, the, the, the doubters are the ones who try to keep seeing with the wrong eyes and knowing him in the wrong form. The doubters are the ones, and this is still true today, that it's very easy. I know a few people, I know one person in particular comes to mind that has always struggled with doubt. Like, he's a Christian, and yet his biggest, he doesn't like to even get too close to reading the Bible because all these doubts come to his mind. When he reads things he doesn't understand, or it's just been this big plague for him for years and years. And and, and, and yet his relationship with the, the Lord is mostly based in trying to imagine a kind of uh, the invisible Nazarene walking around with him during the day, you know? And it is hard to doubt that. I mean, it's not, I mean, it, it is easy to doubt that. It's hard to, it just as soon as you, well, that whole relationship is based on natural thoughts. But my point was that, that once he goes, once the natural seed becomes a heavenly man, he wants you to know him and experience him as a heavenly man. Not as, as a heavenly man that has a vessel on earth, but as a heavenly man nonetheless. This is actually shown really clearly in the story of Elijah and Elisha. Elisha is following Elijah and they're going around and these prophets keeps coming up to Elisha saying, don't you know that your master will be taken away from you today? And, and Elisha says, quiet down. And then it happens three times. You know, you know, Elisha, don't you know your uh, master will be taken from you today? And he says, yes, yes, quiet down. And then what happens? Elisha crosses over with Elijah, crosses the Jordan with Elisha. Elisha is taken up into the heavens, and yet Elisha can see him. And that's the whole point. He says, if you can see me when I'm taken up into the heavens, then my spirit will be on you. So he sees him, 
and and holds on and, and sees him in the heavens and yet and holds on to his spirit. In fact, Elisha knew Elijah better when he was gone than when he was there because he received a double portion of his spirit and began to walk in that spirit. But the, but what does that? What do the prophets do immediately after the prophets say, "Let's get a get group of fifty guys and go looking around the earth to see if we can find where God put Elijah back down." And Elijah says, "No, that's that's dumb." Don't do that. And they beg him, and, bl- and it says, finally, Elisha was so, it says, embarrassed or something, um, ashamed for them, that he said, fine, go do it. And they go out for three days, looking at all the mountaintops and all this stuff, this group of 50 prophets, uh, looking to see where God might have, trying to maintain a seeing of Elijah in the way that they knew. And yet, this, the experience of Elijah was right there in Elisha. It was in a new body. It was in a greater experience of his spirit. It was in a double portion. A greater, not a different life, but a great, an increase, a greater glory. And, you know, three days they come back and they, they say to Elisha, didn't, uh, we didn't find him. And Elisha was like, uh, Elisha was like, you know, yeah, well, I told you you wouldn't. But, um, why am I talking about that? Well, that, because that's the church. That's the church pursuing Christ in such a way that it crosses over with him, crosses the Jordan with him, and then sees him in a heavenly view and becomes and bears in itself that, uh, that, that reality, that life. Um, now... We, we tied this in, again, I mentioned these stories, and I said I'd be referring to them a few times, but I referred to them a little bit last time, but this is, this is what I see when, when I think of the story of Jacob. Jacob comes out from his father, he, he comes out from Bethel, the house of God, he goes into this hostile territory, and he comes out, 20 years later, or whatever it was, he comes out, as a company of of his own increase, and you see that company in his wives and children and and in his flocks. And we just talked about that in the types and shadows class. That whole story. I'm not going to go into all the detail of that again. But um, he, the, but the but the but the picture that's important is that he goes in as a man with just a staff. He comes out as this huge company. Of increase, and after having wrestled with man there, and after having wrestled with God on his way out, just, just like just like this story here, having borne all of man on him and dealt with that, and having wrestled with God, having having drank the cup and experienced the wrath of 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 God, and yet still coming out. Then God puts the name on Jacob, says, from now on, you have a new name. You have a new form. You went in in one form, you came out in another form. Here, What's the name of your new form? Israel. Israel. I, I'm changing your name to, what's Israel? And it's all of you. It's you increased. It's you, it's the whole, it's not just you, your name. It's the name of all your sons and your wives and everything you have. It's all Israel. Because it's an increase of the one seed that went into the land. It's the same thing with Joseph. Joseph goes into Egypt and he dies in Egypt, but he says, don't leave my bones here when you leave. But when, when he left, when Joseph left Egypt, he was in a form 
that God called Israel my son. He was in the midst, he was the bones in the midst of this big corporate people marching out of the land as as uh, Israel my son, the church, the body of Christ. So he goes in in one form, the form that was rejected of his brothers and rejected of Potiphar and thrown into jail and all of that. And, and, and there's another story that emerges there too, but eventually he dies he dies in Egypt and, and comes out in, as, the, as, the, as the substance or the, the, the life in the midst of a, of, of a people. And um, so I just I, I really want to hit hard. I, I wanted to say some of that again in some different ways to to help us to start thinking of the church in a different way, to start understanding that there are two forms or that the, 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 the two forms of the body of Christ. Think of Jesus, and I'm not saying, I, mean, I could go down a list of things I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we're Christ. I'm saying that Christ is our life, but we're not Christ. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that there's two Jesuses, you know. I mean, I could, I could qualify all these things, but I think you guys are following me. Um, the, what I am saying is that Jesus came to earth and the Lord gave him a body. Unto us a child is born. And that child died. <laughs> Not as a child, but he died. And he, he went into the ground so that unto us a son could be given. Unto us a child is born, but a son was given. And the son was given as the life of, of his own body. Now we read, we read uh, from 1 Corinthians last time. And I'll just read this couple of verses here again. But someone will say, how are the dead raised and what kind of body do they, and with what kind of body do they come? You fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be. You don't sow a tree. You sow a seed. You, you sow, it says, a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural man, there is also... I'm sorry. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. I like the other translation better that says... Even as there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. What does he give life to? He gives life to his own body. You see? He's the, he's the life. And, and what's in view here are two bodies. It, it's, not, it's really man-centered of us to think that, that uh, I... Jason could be sown as a natural death in a natural body and and I, Jason, just because of God wants me to have some better form, come back and and, and some great that, that, in other words, it's pretty self centered, it's pretty man centered of me to take this verse and apply it just to my own personal physical death and, and somehow my own personal physical glorification. Now that's that's pretty to me that's 
I mean, I know that everyone talks about this verse in that way, but I think God has a much greater thing in view here. I think he has in view the the first man and the second man. The man that's sown, when was Adam sown into death? Right here. Not, not, not when this shell dies and 2,000 years later, when Jason Henderson, that's not when Adam was sown into the ground. Adam was sown into the ground right here when he was put as a husk on the body of Christ and left in the, in the ground. That's when Adam was sown a natural body, sown in dishonor. That's when it's sown. It was absolutely sown in dishonor. You know, I could die, uh, you know, as a hero and be buried with a million people around me and, 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 and you know, that's not being sown in dishonor. Or I could die a beggar in the street. I mean, that, that's not the point. The point is there was a time when the Adamic man, the natural body, the, the perishable body was sown in dishonor and yet raised in glory. It was sown in weakness. Wasn't it sown in weakness? And yet it was raised in power. Wasn't it sown in natural body and raised in spiritual body? And that's where the church says, no, that hasn't happened yet. You see? Yes, it has. Absolutely has. It was sown a natural body. It was raised a spiritual body. And even as we have, this is what he goes on to say, even as we have borne the image of the first body, the earthly body, so we must now bear the image of the heavenly body. And that's what spiritual growth is all about. Being transformed into, in such a way that we bear the image and glory of the second body that we are. A process that uh, Paul says Christ accomplishes with the power that he has to submit all things to himself. So, one seed goes in, and another, one body goes in, another body comes out, and God begins to relate to that body as Israel, my son, the corporate body of Christ, the church. And you see that right in the beginning, that God's understanding of this corporate thing that all came, they came alive together with Christ. They were given His Spirit on Pentecost. You could say they went up or He came down or either way you want to look at it, they became the increase of Him. His Spirit was given to them. And It's like Ezekiel 37 when there's a bunch of dry bones laying on the ground and all of a sudden one Spirit, one breath comes and makes them all come alive and God says, what is this? And Ezekiel says, you know, Lord. And then He says, it is the whole house of Israel. All made alive by one spirit. And and then God you start to see right away that the ones who uh, for instance, perfect example, Saul. Saul goes around and he is persecuting Christians and when Jesus appears to Saul, Paul, Saul Paul, he says, "Why are you persecuting Christians?" No, that's not what he says. He says, why are you persecuting me? Me. That's the Lord's view. Israel is my son, my firstborn. What's the firstborn? It's the one that opened the womb. It's the one that opens the womb of death. It's the, it's the first one out of that tomb. It's when the, the tomb is rolled away and, the, and, the, and this firstborn son comes out. Of course, it comes out ahead first. It, you know, all natural... Uh, natural birds or, or healthy birds, well, not dangerous birds, I guess you could say it that way, uh, come out head first because that God designed it that way because his head comes out first too. 
and the head comes out. Everyone says hi to the head. And then pretty soon at Pentecost, all of a sudden you see, whoa, here comes a body. There's a body attached to this thing. And from that point on, Jesus says, it's me. Again, let me qualify. By nature and source and substance, we are not Christ. And yet, as the body of him who is the head, we are the body of Christ. Okay? Now, I have a little bit of time here, and and I'm going to start talking about uh, something that's just... uh, that I'll, I'll probably talk about more next time, and, and I need another diagram here. I have a small version of it here, but uh, because Christ is the life of the body, because the church is defined by Christ, well, let me put it this way. If the church is Christ's body and resurrection, then Christ defines it. What do I mean by that? I mean... We can call ourselves the body of Christ, but we're only the body in that we bear Him, that we carry this new life, not because of what we are in ourselves. In other words, I'm not, I'm saying this in a bunch of ways, trying to like kind of circle around it and take a whack at it from a bunch of different angles until it kind of clicks, but we're not the body of Christ because of what we are in ourselves. Or the body of Christ, because, and to the degree that, He is living in us. See, Christ, and this is when I start using this other diagram, and I don't know if I'm, um, clear out this spot here. You remember, I did this years ago, but the, the, the gingerbread man diagram where, Where this is the body of Christ, and I drew, you know, I said that we are all like these little ovals. We are all in Christ uh, as soon as we're born again, fully in Christ. And yet, I, I started drawing some other ovals that this represents where we really are. But I started drawing some other ovals that were partly in Christ, not because it's possible to be partly in Christ, but because to represent the measure of our experience or, or the measure of Christ that's formed in us or the measure of, of, of light or, or, or understanding or spiritual uh, experience of the Christ in whom we are. So here's, here's the measure of Christ that's working in me right here. And here's the measure of flesh and, and, and Adam and unrenewed mind that's still working in me. Now, again, nobody is uh, only partially in Christ, but... There are lots of things that are still working in me that are not him. There's lots of things that are still very real to me and expression and things that I express that are not reflective of his life or his government. And so what I'm trying to say is that you know, here's a person that just got born again and is obviously totally in Christ as a matter of fact, but has almost no comprehension or experience of what it means to be in Christ. And the mo- the thing that is far more real to them is the natural world. And here's another person that just got saved the same week, <laughs> and or maybe that's been saved for 50 years, but hasn't, hasn't advanced at all in their understanding of what it means to be in Christ. And these people... They, they, they start, they start 
uh, uh, I don't know, a, a, like a, a knitting club together, and they get together, and then they share, they babysit each other's kids, and and they they have a lot of personality things in common, and 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 and, and they go to the same movies, and they have the same morals, and they have the same views on politics and whatever, and then they say, man, isn't it great? to be Christians and have this kind of fellowship. And yet, what they're sharing has nothing to do with Christ. <laughs> they're sharing the earth as Christians, but that's not fellowship. Fellowship is... Oh, it's kind of kooky, but... is the measure to which we share the life that we are in. Well, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that the church is the church is defined by the body of Christ, by the life of Christ. And any it, it's not therefore what I bring to him. It is the measure of him that is working in me. And that's why you can't just point at anything out there that calls itself the church and think you're looking at the church because, because the church is defined by the life. And you can see this in a number of easy analogies. Jared did one once uh, about, oops, uh, I remember he said, you know, he, he always, at least he used to, I don't know if he still does, but he used to always drink Coke Zeros and he was talking about how... Uh, you know, he'd sit there while he was teaching and his arm would reach out and take this Coke Zero and put it back. And he said if somehow someone made him an arm, a mechanical arm that looked exactly like his, that could somehow be like attached right here, you know, just like stuck on here. And it just, and, and, and while he was teaching, this arm actually went out, grabbed a Coke Zero, came back and, and just kept doing the exact same thing that his real arm does. You still couldn't go up to him and say... Um, you couldn't point at that arm and say that's part of your body. You know, if someone could say, "Hey, I like your uh, third arm. It's a it's a nice, uh, you know, improvement of your body." And, and Jared would be like, "No, oh, actually, that's not my body." Like, what do you mean it's not your body? It looks exactly like your other arms. It's doing the exact same thing that that uh, that your other arms are doing. You know, I mean, what's what do you mean it's not your body? And and, and the obvious answer from Jared's point of view is, well. My body actually has boundaries. That's outside the boundaries of my body. It's doing what I do. It's copying what I do. It looks like what I am. But my life is the boundary of my body. My life is. And that's not my life. It, it, no matter how much it looks like me. You know? Now, that is so obvious to us in the natural realm. It's beyond obvious. It's almost silly. But we we don't get it with Christ. We think that the things that we do for him, the ministries we create and put his name on, the 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 the, the, the we, we we stick all this stuff onto Christianity and we call it the church. And someone says, that's not the, like, you know, Milo walks up and says, that's, you know, that's actually not the church. And someone says, what do you mean it's not the church? It looks like the church. It's doing what the church does. I read it about, it's, I read this here and now that's what we're doing. You know, we're, we're doing these, these automated movements of, that we read about in the Bible. And, 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 you know, and someone says, you know, that's just not the church. Why not? Well, because the church has boundaries. 
and the boundaries of the church are the life of Christ. And, and, and if they even understood what you were saying, well, they probably just kind of like roll their eyes and walk away, but <clears throat> if they understood what you were saying, they might say, well, that's pretty exclusive, you know? That's, that's, that's pretty uh, narrow-minded to, to limit the church just to those things which come out from the life of Christ. The things that are the movements and expressions of life. That's kind of, that's kind of uh, narrow-minded. But you certainly wouldn't think it's narrow-minded if it was a fake arm coming out of your body. You would understand and you would agree with and you would like the fact that life defines your body. Life defines the boundaries of your body. Now that's going to be so important when we get in a little bit to understanding the way God dealt with Israel in the wilderness. Because he started right away trying to show them the boundaries of life. And they just kept thinking that any old thing they attached to themselves was God, was the covenant, was the relationship. They kept sticking things onto them, you know, like whatever they wanted to do. <clears throat> and, and, and God's like, oh, that's, that's not me. I'm going to cut it off. I'm like, what do you mean you're going to cut it off? I want to cut that off, you know? And, and let me, just so you don't do it again, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you where the boundary is. And he, and, he, and he describes, whether in a law, or in sometimes he actually put boundary markers around certain things, you know, or whatever. And he says, look, this, this is, we're only going to deal here with the things that are life, that represent, in the Old Covenant, represent the life of Christ. And anything outside of that, guys, it's death. And they're like, oh yeah, that sounds good. We'll obey. We're in. You know, sign me up for this covenant because God got me out of Egypt and he seems pretty powerful. And then next thing, two days later, they're like, okay, I have this idea. You know, well, we can all be high priests. This is what the sons of Korah basically said, you know. And God's like, ooh, don't do that, you know. And, and from his point of view, it's just, it's just this. It's just something outside of life, outside of his own body, outside of the place that he has given them to dwell, and, and he cuts it off, and they all think he's so mean. <laughs> and we read it, and we think he's so mean. And people say, oh, the God of the Old Testament is so grumpy, and he kills everybody. And yet, what God, the God of the Old Testament was doing was offering a wonderful place to find life. And, and defining that life as Christ, defining the church as the life that came out from death and not letting anything that isn't life be attached to that body and called life. Because everything that, and this is what you'll go on to see in in Exodus and Leviticus, especially Leviticus, anything that they try to attach to life that, that isn't of that life becomes leprous becomes contagious. It spreads in flesh. It's unclean. It's contaminated. And and, and you have to you have to clean you have to purify every God had to purify throw out of the camp for a time or forever, depending on what the issue was, everything that proceeded from the flesh. If that came out of your flesh and made you unclean, get out of my camp. You know? And he starts doing that. Did that actually come out of your flesh? You know, was there? And this is kind of the kind of gross, gross chapters in some ways, naturally speaking. But if it came out of the flesh, it's unclean. Get it out of my camp. Is it growing on the flesh? Let the high priest check it. You know, if it's got a white hair and a scab or whatever, it's clean. You know, I don't know all those different rules. I don't know how he decided, but if if 
some things were leprous, some things were contagious, some things could spread from one flesh to the other, and he got him out of his camp. Other things, he says, oh no, that's like what he says, I love it when he says, if a man has lost his hair and has no something or other, he is bald, but he is clean. And, and that Amen. verse always, yeah, it really touched me. Uh, <clears throat> I forget where that is. Someone sent me that in a text message once. Um, but if, it, if a person lost their hair because of something else, you know, and there was some kind of like a white sore with a green hair or something, then he says, he is not clean. But if he lost his hair and there's no sore, he's clean. And uh, so maybe we should stop with that. On that note, I feel like... Yeah, it's a high point. <laughs> Everything we're talking about here. Let's see if anyone has comments or questions, and we'll we'll pick it up there next week.